Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here and this week I'm joined by Nick Bazarian, the Senior Project Manager at Panto to talk about the methods for using and managing colour consistently. But before we dive into the interview, I want to tell you about the one piece of logo design content from this year that's really stood out. I'm always on the lookout for interesting content to share around the topic of logo design on social media. So I do see a lot of content, but from time to time, there's that special gem that really stands out. And this year, that was a training course from a company called Domestica, who are a Spanish-owned training company who are now moving into the English-speaking market. Their platform is a little bit like Skillshare, but the difference with them is that all of the courses on their platform are produced by them and they're really superb quality. So earlier this year, they released a logo design course with Saggy Haviv called Logo Design from Concept to Presentation. And that course was a real delight to watch. For those new to the field, it's a fantastic introduction into the logo design process. But even for those that have been doing this a few years, there's parts of it that will be really good for you. For example, there's a section where he shows how he presented the logo that he did for Harvard University Press. He also shows another uh, presentation which he describes as corporate identity natural selection and it, it's a fantastic way to show clients that simplicity is the right direction to go and you know what this course is only ten dollars uh, I'm personally a big fan of Sagi Haviv and the design agency Chimaya from Geismar and Javi. So having more insight into their design process is something that I would have paid a small fortune to access. But for only $10, it's a crazy price. And I know that there's some people out there that probably think it's not going to be that good, but it's, it's about an hour's worth of content. And I personally think that it's something that anyone that's interested in logo design uh, should just go and get. It's, it's an absolute delight to watch. Uh, so if that is something that you do want to go and check out, which I highly recommend, go to logogeek.uk forward slash course. Now there is an affiliate link. So if you do purchase the product through that link, you'll be helping to support the ongoing production of the Logo Geek podcast at absolutely no extra cost to you. It's basically just a redirect that lets them know that I've recommended this. But it's something I bought. I love it. Sagi Haviv is one of the best logo designers out there. So no matter what level you're at, it's definitely worth watching. And the quality of the production is absolutely superb. So again, to go and check out that course, and support the production of the Logo Geek podcast, head to logogeek.uk forward slash course. So anyway, on this week's podcast, we are diving into the topic of color consistency. When you're designing a logo or brand identity, it's really important that the colors that you choose can work consistently 
across all platforms from uh, your devices through to print. So knowing how to ensure color consistency across the board is absolutely essential as a graphic designer. Now, I'm going to be totally honest and let you know that there have been a number of mistakes that I personally made over the years. And I'm really keen that you don't make the same mistakes. For example, if you was to design a logo in RGB, did you know that not all colors can actually be printed accurately? Sometimes the colors can actually look totally different when you convert from RGB to CMYK. It's because RGB is made up from light. So you can create very vibrant colors that are near impossible to create using any form of ink, whether that's CMYK or Pantone colors. It's just impossible. I've learned that to ensure the most accurate use of color, it's best to choose a Pantone color and then convert that Pantone color to CMYK, then to RGB and not the other way around. That way, you know that from print to web, the color that you select can be created accurately. Another mistake I made is to assume that the color that I could see on my screen is correct, and then using the automatic color conversion in Adobe Illustrator to convert that to a Pantone color without ever looking in a Pantone book. But now I know that's a really inaccurate way to do it. Um, I've only recently got myself a new set of Pantone books and I'm surprised to see how inaccurate the automatic conversions are. So if you really want to do this right, to ensure the color that you choose is accurate, you really need to choose a Pantone color from a Pantone swatch book. And it's also important that you choose from both coated and uncoated paper stock as the colors can actually look quite different based on the actual paper stock used. It is quite an investment, but if you're doing this as a professional identity designer, I personally feel it's absolutely essential now that I do have them. It's uh, an absolute must to ensure accuracy. Now, the thing is, I still know that my knowledge on color has gaps. There's so much more to color science than I ever imagined. So I was really keen to discuss this in more detail with an expert on the topic. And what better place to look than to Pantone themselves? So after contacting the company, I was put in touch with Nick Bazarian, who's the senior project manager at Pantone, who kindly agreed to come on the podcast and answer my questions. So in this episode, we take a real deep dive into the topic of color consistency. We learn how Pantone can be used to ensure color consistency from your uh, screens through to print. Uh, we discuss devices for calibrating your monitors. Uh, we find out more about Pantone Connect, as well as a number of useful devices from Xrite, which is Pantone's parent company. And those are tools that will help you effectively manage color as a graphic designer. 
So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Nick Bazarian. As an opening question, I've been aware of Pantone for years since I was first a graphic designer. And I would have thought that most people listening will be aware of what Pantone is. But I think so that we provide some kind of context for listeners. Would you mind briefly explaining what Pantone's all about? Sure. I mean, that's a, probably the most important question is what is this color system? Um, so Pantone, at the highest level, it's really a language of color. And it's a color standard. And the, the key with Pantone colors is that they, they represent a selection of achievable, which, which means they're really physically reproducible colors for whatever uh, material or substrate they are produced with or produced on. And so it, when we say Pantone, you know, a lot of people think of one particular color system, the, the Pantone matching system which is most well-known because it's used in graphic design. But similarly, there, there's actually an entire system for textile as well with those same qualities where it's physically achievable colors for textile, in, the case of, you know, in this case, cotton um, or, or nylon or, or polyester. Um, and so this, this language becomes a way to communicate color um, consistently from really the beginning of a design, you know, the, the inspiration phase, as we like to think about, um, all the way through to the final production of that color um, and keep the identity of that color consistent. Mm -hmm. So without really without this, this language, um, the, the potential that somebody picking a color and getting the final color they expected in their final result um, it, it's very low because color tends to drift due to all of the different workflow steps involved in, in creating something. Mm. I think based on that, and uh, it's, it's one of the topics that I was really keen to speak with you about, is color accuracy and the workflow that ideally graphic designers should be going through for consistency because this uh, podcast is primarily around logo design and branding and um, there are a lot of companies out there that that probably require color consistency across the board and they would want it to be as, as accurate as possible so as a graphic designer using the Pantone uh, uh, system what's the best workflow to run through so that you do have the the best consistency from uh, Pantone through to CMYK and uh, RGB color profiles? Sure. So, um, yeah, I think really first and foremost, understanding that, you know, there's a there's an entire workflow of color from start to finish, from from inspiration through to the final production um, and then understanding at each of these different steps of the workflow, um, the different things that you can do to control color so that you get the result that you want. Um, you, you almost have to start at the highest level and then drill down. So we can, we can do that here. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So, so to be, to begin with, um, you know, if I, if I, you know, was thinking about starting, you know, a new design or, or some new work for a customer or a client that was asking me for something. Uh, 
I'd want to understand exactly what it is that, you know, that, that logo or that design was going to be used for and where it was going to be used. Um, if it's, you know, if it's a, if it's simply a color that's going to exist in digital, um, it's, it's never really going to be reproduced physically at some point, then, uh, the workflow becomes much shorter. Um, but there still are, are steps that you need to take to control it. But, you know, in most cases, you know, that color is going to be physically reproduced. And so knowing that, I mean, you're really at the earliest step possible in your inspiration phase. If you can get to an, a physically achievable color like Pantone, you're going to be best off with, with getting the best results. So we typically think of the, this workflow as like a round or almost like a, um, you know, a left hand side and a right hand side. And in the middle of it is a big roundabout. Um, and so on the left hand side of this workflow, um, you know, you're doing sort of the inspirational work. You're talking to your clients. You're trying to get an understanding of, you know, what meaning they're going for, um, what mood, you know, maybe they have some pre-existing colors, but they maybe they want to change them a little bit. Um, you're really gathering information. And, and at that point, um, you know, we call that really inspiration. And it, it kind of comes down to color picking and just trying to figure out what the right color is. There's a second step to this workflow, which is once you've sort of figured out what your color is, really specifying it and then applying it to a design file um, so that, you know, it's actually it, it's now sort of built into the product that you're making. Um, that's that's going from the first phase to, to really the second phase of this. Once you start getting, you know, beyond what your final design file is, um, there becomes this handoff where, you know, if you're a graphic designer, you might be going to um, a printer directly. You, you could be going to someone who's considered more of like a pre-press or pre-media where they're going to be preparing your design file to be produced. And then from there, you know, once once you're, you're working with your printer, there's a there's a formulation step of color um, and then a final production run or a final print run. Um this handoff, we, we typically talk about it as like a, a roundabout. And so you know, what happens is, you know, you'll hand something off, maybe something, you know, in your design file wasn't clear, maybe you didn't specify the color um, in the right color space, maybe the, the profile wasn't there. And so the, the printer is not sure what they're trying to produce. It causes this back and forth that wastes a lot of time and, and a lot of money. Um, and so Everything that you can do as a graphic designer early on to get to an achievable color and have it controlled and have it specified, um, in this case, you know, we like to say as a Pantone color, the more likely you are to get the color that your client picked or that you picked um, at the end of the day. In the inspiration phase, where, where Pantone typically comes in is we, we make these books of color. And I think you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, your audience is probably pretty familiar with a Pantone book. The, these are, um, they're really like a, a physical reference to what the Pantone color identity is. So when you pick it from a book, you pick a Pantone color from a book, you know that that color is tied to a specific data point and that data point can be carried all the way through this workflow that we just described um, from, you know, from inspiration into design and then over to formulation and, and, and the print and production run of that color. Um, so that's really like your first step is just physically picking a color that you're comfortable with 
Um, and then, you know, knowing that you sort of had that identity to, to go forward. I've recently actually upgraded my set of books and uh, I was looking at the different options. I mean, it's, it's the first time that I properly invested in, in a new set. The, um, the, the, the set that I did have was like 10 years old and uh, um, obviously slightly faded. But I wasn't aware until recently what the color bridge one is. And um, uh, I spoke to a couple of uh, graphic design friends and they, they pointed out the fact that the color bridge version does have the uh, Pantone and the, the closest CMYK match. So I think it'd be useful to also just explain what these different books are, because I know that there's a few different uh, versions out there. What, what's the difference between each of those? Absolutely. Um... So color for print in particular, it can be produced in you know, a few different ways. Um, it, spot color is where Pantone's history was really, was really founded. And you know, with, a, with a spot color ink, um, the ink and the color itself that you've chosen is actually pre-mixed before it goes on press. So it's, it's, a, true, uh, it's a true color that's applied. It's not, um, it's not mixed as it's going on to the press. And with spot color, you can get a, a much wider variety, a much wider gamut of, of color um, at the end of the day. And so for, for designers, you know, having more color, having more vibrant color, spot color is really, um, you know, it's like, the, it's like the best color system you can be working in um, when, you're, when you're going to print. So the Pantone formula guide, which is, uh, it's really kind of like the bread and butter of, of Pantone, is a spot color book with 2,180 colors in it, printed on both coated paper and uncoated paper, um, really to, to give the understanding of how substrate affects that spot ink that, it, that the color is printed on. Um, and so that's, that's the most popular book. And, and frankly, it's, it's even used well beyond printing and, and graphic design. It's, we find textile designers who, who didn't know that there was a textile system who are using Pantone books because they're, it's just so easy to carry these around and communicate and, and, and really use that color. The, the color bridge book that you just referenced is, um, I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's like the most useful product that we have. And, and what that does is it actually compares the spot color printed on either coated or uncoated paper with the four color CMYK process print equivalent of it. And so if, if you're a designer and you are trying to evaluate really, you know, whether it's worth asking your printer to use spot inks, and, and obviously you'd be paying a little bit more to use um, spot color because of the amount of ink involved um, versus, you know, just producing that same color um, in CMYK. This book gives you a side-by-side -side comparison for each color and it really lets you make the, the best color choice. And, and what you'll find when you look at this is that the spot color in, in really every case, it's, it's just a more vibrant reproduction of, of what that color is that you picked. Um, because with only four colors, with, with you know cyan, magenta, yellow, and and black, um, with CMYK printing, it, you're you're limited really in the color gamut with what can be produced. And so, there's actually one other book that kind of fits in between these, which is 
we have a, an extended gamut book, which is instead of spot and instead of four colors, you know, CMYK printing, there's a extended gamut CMYK plus orange, uh, orange, purple, and green. Um, it becomes a, it really becomes a, a seven color process, which is sort of like the midway point between CMYK and spot. Um, and that's another option that, you know, as, as, uh, extended gamut printing becomes more popular, you as a designer have, you know, an ability to evaluate, you know, exactly how you want this color to be produced at the end of the day. So these are, these are physical colors that are physical color books that tie to this digital standard that we have. And, you know, they, they show the final output in different scenarios. Mm-hmm. That was a, a fantastic explanation. And like I said, it wasn't until recently that I, I was aware that there was that uh, color bridge uh, uh, book. And you're right, that's definitely the, the most uh, useful one that I have because I, I do have a, a couple of different ones. Uh, originally, I got the Pantone inks one, you know, just with the with the single uh, Pantone color, but having the bridge one has been um, really helpful. Uh, I wanted to ask you about RGB color space because I've I've worked with a couple of companies over the last few years who are primarily online so they've been able to get away with using uh, RGB uh, color profiles within their logo. Um, Are there any useful tools or, or, or useful approaches to recreate these colors more consistently in print because there, there was one client that I worked with recently who used um, it's quite a vibrant blue and even with the Pantone color matching books that I have finding a color that was anywhere near it was pretty much impossible so it, the print equivalent of this color is almost completely different are there any useful tools or, or inks or something that, that Pantone's created to allow greater consistency with with this type of problem yeah that's that's a great question and this is actually it's interesting as we as we see more and more companies um kind of go through that that tech startup phase of of kind of growing and then becoming you know somewhat of a player and then they start they really start to think about going and doing branding beyond just their website um, this has become a problem that that we see from a lot of people, um, and we've actually started consulting for um, at Pantone. And, and what happens is RGB is a digital color space. It 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 exists only on screen, and it's it's made up of red, green, and blue light that's you know displayed in your monitor, and each you know each display, each monitor has its own ability to show color. Um, and, but in, in, in each, each one, you know, potentially uses a, a different RGB color space. There, there are a few of them. Um, just, just for simplicity's sake, let's, let's say sRGB is the most common and what you're likely to receive from a client if, if you get an RGB color. What happens is a lot of the colors in RGB that you see on screen, they're not physically reproducible. And so when you, you get a client who's looking for the first time to say, hey, I want some printed material with our colors and I want, um, you know, I want to see this on, on a banner and I want it on textile, um, they're, really, they're, they're stuck because their original color that they picked won't get them there. 
what what we found is a lot of times, you know, if you think about the the color space as a three D, like a three dimensional space, um, the RGB space is much wider than the physically reproducible spot color space from Pantone, and much much wider from let's say like the CMYK color space that's out there, and so it's possible that somebody could pick a color in RGB that is outside of both the Pantone space and the CMYK space. And in those instances, you really, you have a few options. Um, you can just, you know, start again and, and pick a new color and, and you could, you know, look at the Pantone book um, as, as a way of doing that. What we've typically done at Pantone is, you know, we make the assumption that the customer doesn't necessarily want to go to a Pantone color because they still want to keep a distinct digital identity, especially if they are a tech company. Um, but you do want to get them to a color that's more consistent going from digital to physical. And so what we'll typically do is, is we'll map their color in this 3D space um, to show where it is in the RGB world and then overlay the Pantone space, the spot color space, as well as the CMYK. And, and basically, like, you actually have to walk the color back from the edge. I mean, you're, you're walking this color from the edge of RGB back towards a color that's maybe a little bit closer to the center so that it can be physically reproduced. And so sometimes that means mapping it to the closest Pantone. In other cases, it means going to a color that's slightly beyond what the Pantone color system offers but is still physically reproducible either in spot color ink mixing or, um, you know, potentially through some four color process. Um, it's, it's a pretty involved effort. And I mean, it, for us, it's a, it's actually a major consulting engagement because there's a lot of back and forth with your client trying to keep their identity, but also trying to keep them you know, with a scalable color in the future. Um, and, We've, we've even found, you know, with certain colors, particularly like in the purples and in the blues, like you've, you just brought up in that example, um, you know, with these colors, like you, you really, even some, even some monitors can't even display the color uh, appropriately. We've had, we actually had one client um, recently that they picked a color and it was, it was this awesome, um, awesome digital color, you know, kind of between a blue and a purple and uh, yeah. depending on what kind of screen you looked at it on, it, it was either blue or purple. It was never consistent. <laughs> um, and it's in a situation like that, it's not practical to, to ask you know, your customer to calibrate their screen to see it the right way. And so you know, we actually had to help the customer, A, walk their color towards something that's a bit more stable um, and scalable to physical because they eventually they did want to go uh, physical with it. But, but also there are ways to control how color is displayed across different RGB spaces on different devices um, through th really through like browser coding through CSS. So there, there are all these different things that you end up having to learn about in order to, to make a color safer to use for someone who started digital, but needs to go physical. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating, but I have, <laughs> I do have a few questions. Um, so you, you mentioned about that particular color that was between a, a, a pink and a, a blue. And you spoke about finding a color that was more stable. 
how are you actually doing that? Do you have some software that's allowing you to do that? And if you do, what can someone like myself do to prevent that issue from coming up? So it, we are, in that case, we are working with color scientists. So we actually have, because we are, we, we Pantone are part of a company called X-Rite, um, which is really the science of color. Um, we work with X-Rite color scientists to walk this color through the, the color space. Um, so obviously that's not practical for, you know, the average graphic designer out there. But there are some tools that we do offer that are much more accessible and and will, um, let's say, do a, a good enough job in most cases to get you where you need to go. So um, on our, our website, we have a color finder tool. Um, it's also available through um, it, through Adobe Creative Cloud in the Adobe Creative Cloud Exchange called Pantone Connect. And this tool has a convert feature where if you have a hex code or you have a, an sRGB color and you know you, you know it's causing problems for your client, um, you can convert it to the closest matching Pantone color in this 3D color space. And uh, we, we don't, you know, with this tool, we're not giving you the exact match because there is, there's really typically no exact match to the color that you started with. Um, but what we are doing is showing you based off of the, the Delta E, which is really like the, the distance between your starting point and the nearest Pantone color. We're showing you what the closest Pantone color is. Um, and then we're also showing you some other nearby alternatives, maybe in different directions in that 3D color space. So that as you evaluate what the, the best match to your digital color could be, you have some choices and you can pick the one that you think best suits your, your customer. So that, and that's, that, that tool, um, you know, it's either, depending on how you're using it, it's either free or, you know, for a very low, very, very low annual fee, you can access it. Yeah. So I assume that if you're um, an Adobe user, you have free access to that. And if you don't, there's a cost to it. Is that right? So, so for the moment, um, we actually, it, so uh, it's a new system for us called Pantone Connect um, that okay. we're going to be um do an expanded launch of very soon. Um, but it's currently actually open for free to all users um, through uh, really the middle of really the middle of the summer. So um, it's part of a, an offer we did given the, the COVID-19 situation ongoing where everybody's working from home and having trouble communicating color. So it's open and it's free to use today. Um, and, uh, you know, in the future, I mean, there, it's, it's really a freemium model. So some options are free to use, some are paid. Um, and that's going to be, you know, within Adobe or wherever else uh, this, this system is exposed or available to access. Yeah, amazing. I, I need to try it myself because I, I, I did see that you promoted that for COVID-19. I've never used it myself. Um, I'm sure there's listeners that, that must have used it, but I've never used it myself. And uh, I wasn't actually aware of the capabilities of it. So um, knowing that that's in there is useful. Are there any other useful features within that software that would be useful for, for a graphic designer? Yeah. So the main challenge that we were trying to solve with um, launching Pantone Connect, which went live last year, um, was that Pantone colors are, they're not all there within Adobe. Um, 
I think, I think, you know, I think many designers are aware of that because they've been asked for a color and then they go into uh, the swatch libraries in Adobe and they can't find it there and then start looking around and figure out that there's, it's missing colors. Yeah, that, that's how I found out because like I said, I've, I've only recently upgraded my books. The, the books that I did have, they're really old. So everything that's been in there has been in Adobe, but uh, literally the first color I picked out did a search in, uh, within the Adobe swatches and, and it wasn't there. And it, was, it wasn't until then that I, I found that there was colors missing and I needed to go through this process. So it would be great if you could talk through um, how you do go about adding them. Yeah, I mean, in, in the past, we've had some software called Pantone Color Manager, which um, it, it's come with all of our books that you could export the colors into Adobe. Um, so you, can, you could export the most updated files. Um, and the the challenge with this old software was that you, know, you were just doing an export and there really wasn't a whole lot more to go along with it. So uh, with with Pantone Connect, um, this is actually, it's, it's, it's called an extension app. It's, it's like a plugin for Adobe. It works natively within the tool set so that as you pick your color, you know, as you're going through the Pantone system and navigating it and sorting through it and filtering it, and you find the color you're looking for, um, you can just really select the object or select the, the design element you want to add it to in your design file and, and put it right in. Um, you can also add it to your swatches so you have it saved um, you know, for, for a later design at a later date. Um, and then it, it actually works in the reverse. A lot of times what we found was you know, designers were getting you know, some sort of JPEG or some sort of file from their customers, and they were trying to figure out what the closest Pantone was to it. And uh, you know, there was really no easy way to solve that. So what we've added is the ability to use a color picker to um, or an eyedropper rather to, to really pick the color within your design file that you're not sure about, but you want to get a Pantone for and import it into this color converter and convert it to the nearest Pantone color. And then, and then you can make that swap and get it in there. Um, so it's, it's, it's full of some other features as well that I would say are more of a, like an inspiration type tool to help pick, um, color palettes and, um, you know, ways of extracting colors from images so you can get colors you want. Um, but it's really about cutting down on the time it takes to get to the right Pantone color and then getting it into your design file uh, very quickly and easily. And then if you do work on a design team, there are shared palettes so that, you know, let's say everybody's working on the same project and you have 15 Pantone colors or five Pantone colors, you can add your teammates um, as collaborators to these palettes um, and, and really scale it and align people that way. So, you know, this is, this is how we're trying to bring Pantone colors to people in a more useful and a more accessible uh, digital way um, for both our graphic design customers and our fashion and product design customers as well. Hmm. I wasn't actually aware it was uh, so new. So when I did go about updating my uh, colors which I only did like a month ago I didn't use Pantone Connect I used the the manager and had to go through the whole process of of uh, exporting it as you mentioned which I mean it, it wasn't um, too bad of a workflow but this sounds a lot more effective so I, I'm definitely going to be installing this straight after this 
interview and i'm sure any listeners that haven't already done that probably will there's a lot more coming with this tool as well so you know be be on the lookout from pantone for some uh some exciting new <laughs> launches that go with it <laughs> well what's the best way to keep up with that is it just a case of signing up to the newsletter and then you'll be up to date with what pantone is doing yeah i mean if, you, if you're if you like to sign up for um email that, that's probably the best way i'm um, just signing up on the pantone website um but even following pantone on instagram or on other social feeds um you, you'll see a lot of news about some of the new digital features that are coming from pantone relatively soon I just want to take a really short break to mention the Logo Designers box set, which is a set of six ebooks that I put together to help you through the logo design process. It's totally free to download and it covers the tools you need, uh, creating a logo design brief, advice for coming up with ideas, presenting logos, creating files for your clients and finding your own clients too. So you can download that for free just by heading to boxset.logogeek.uk. Now that is in exchange for your email address to sign you up to my newsletter. So if you do want to be kept up to date with what's happening with the Logo Geek podcast and other things I'm doing around Logo Geek, do head to boxset.logogeek.uk to download that and sign up. So that is it. Let's get back to the interview. So for the next section of questions, when I originally contacted you, I made the assumption that Pantone was more focused on the color books. Uh, but I, I have since realized since you got in touch and I noticed your URL had the x right name in there. I've looked on that website and I can see that there's a whole load of other tools and services that there's so many different things on there. So I know that there's uh, probably hours and hours and hours worth of conversation that we could go into. Um, but I think it would be great to chat about what some of these products are and, and how we can use them. So one thing that I think a lot of designers will probably want to do is calibrate their screen in some way so that they know that what they're seeing on their screen is as precise as possible. So what tools are out there to, to help designers effectively calibrate their screen if it's even possible at all? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, so that, that's a, it's a relevant point for really any, any designer um, in the sense of, you know, even if you're only working digitally or primarily working digitally, you still want to know that the colors you're picking um, are are consistent across the monitors you're working on, and as well as color accurate, um, or at least to the to the best that your monitor or display can can show those colors. And I mean, while many newer displays are very good, there there's still you know there's still problems with inconsistency, um, and and so keeping your your monitor calibrated is the best way to ensure that you're looking at color really under the ideal viewing circumstances. And where so so X-Rite is so actually if Pantone is the let's say the the art and and the branding of color um, and really the, the use of color as a language, X-Rite is a company that that is like the really the parent company of Pantone. And X-Rite is the science of color. And so X-Rite produces these calibration devices that will work with your monitor and work with software that you, you install on your, on your, you know, on your computer 
And uh, they'll actually, you know, they, they can work in a number of different ways. They can show you the ideal viewing conditions for color, whether it's to look at Pantone most accurately or to look at color through another color profile that maybe you wanted to, to view it under. Um, you know, different RGB profiles that are out there. There's different industry standards and you can adjust those settings based off of uh, what really whatever you need to be looking at color as. Um, and what's, what's really cool about these calibrators as well is if you have multiple displays or even if you're working on a large team, you can actually go ahead and, and you know, calibrate each display and it'll give you a reading of which one is, has the best color viewing conditions. And where that's helpful is, you know, if you work on a big team or even if you have like five or six displays, cause you just, you know, you do a lot of design and you have a lot of different uh, creative work going on. Um, you'll know which one has the best viewing for color. And that's where you can make your color decisions when you're picking digitally. And so calibration is a, it's a really important step for um, the, the inspiration phase of color, as well as for when you're actually designing and specifying color. It's really that entire left-hand side of the workflow. And what, what kind of goes hand in hand in that is um, doing color profiling, um, which I alluded to a little bit. And, and color profiling is when you, um, you're basically setting your, your, your display to um, really work consistently across multiple devices, uh, multiple input or output devices. So multiple monitors, multiple displays, um, multiple printers, so that when you pick a color, it's viewed consistently and you know the gamut is shown accurately as you go from working on screen to even working with a printer. So X-Rite makes these uh, profiling devices as well. And in many cases, when you buy a calibration device, it also does profiling. So it kind of, it accomplishes the viewing and the, let's say the, the transferability of color as you work digitally, um, you know, from, from one space to another uh, very easily. So how does that actually work when you do color calibration? Because being honest with you, um, because I have a fairly new monitor, I made the assumption that the calibration of it is, is fairly accurate and, and I haven't taken that next step to properly uh, calibrate it so that what I do see in there is like 100% accurate. How does it work? Do you need to buy some thing that you stick on the front of the, the screen and it, it calibrates it? Would, would you mind talking through like what's out there? Because I, I know when I looked on the x right site, there seemed to be lots of different options and I don't know what what one I would need personally. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, and this is it's a little bit a little bit beyond my area of expertise. <laughs> okay. I will okay. say from from Pantone, um, the i1 Studio Designer Edition is probably the best for graphic designers out there. Uh, in in the sense of um, it, this is it's a it's a calibrator. It, it does profiling for you as well. Um, for both your, your monitor and your printer. Um, and it can actually take measurements as well. So if you have, you know, let's say you've received color samples uh, from, a, from a customer and you want to, you know, you want to find out what the nearest Pantone is, you can actually take a measurement with this device as well um, and, and get that reading in so you can design with that color digitally. Um, and it's, it's, 
it's, I mean, from a, let's say from a capability standpoint, it's, it's certainly not the top end, but it's also, you know, it's not, you know, it's not like the, the lowest capable device either. It's kind of right in the middle of doing everything you need to do pretty well um, and accurately. Um, but as far as the calibration goes, they actually, it, it, it hangs over your screen and it, it essentially um, works with the software that you've downloaded um, to put in a white point and adjust to a white point um, in that in that screen's capability and then show how the colors are displayed really to the best that the screen can do according to that that white point profile that's trying to get to so it's a it's a really helpful tool that kind of accomplishes everything you'd need to do digitally to be looking at color on screen under the right conditions and and then to eventually go to print with it mm-hmm. yeah i need to get one of those um because like i said i i've kind of been reliant on the, the the fact that my monitor is fairly accurate from purchasing it um but that's not the most professional way of doing it so i, I think it'd be worth buying one of these to uh, to allow myself to do that um again looking through the website there was a number of other tools and again um uh, because i've not really been heavily involved on the print side of things there's some tools i'm not familiar with would you mind talking through what as uh, if i can even say the word spec spectrophometer is have <laughs> I said that right I know that print companies use them I, I've seen them when I have gone to print companies but I don't really know what they do and and, and how they're used and what they're for so yeah it, it, it's a, a spectrophotometer and um, okay <laughs> that's a mouthful <laughs> I, it's definitely not um, a colloquial word <laughs> and so Spectrophotometers, uh, there's they come in a, a wide variety um, for because they're used in pretty much the production of color in any industry you can think of. And right. what these do is they 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 basically measure color by measuring the reflectance of light off of a, a material or a surface that they read. And that that measurement is, is really what records what the color is. And so the, the variation in these, they go from, I would say, kind of like low cost, high accessibility. So um, in some cases, even a designer might be able to, to take advantage of some of the, the, like, let's say, like lower end type spectrophotometers that can take a pretty accurate reading for you to get the color that you need. Um, and they range all the way up to spectrophotometers that will measure at multiple angles you know, really going all the way around, you know, in a circle um, to a, a chosen point um, in order to re- measure things like uh, metallic auto paint. Um, and, and these, you know, these are devices that are used in the manufacture of cars and, uh, you know, any, any kind of really high-end coding that you might think of. For, you know, if you've ever been to a, a printer, um, printers use a specific type of spectrophotometer that measures color um, at a 45 degree angle. And, and, uh, these are, these are actually like probably one of the most important tools for ensuring that the color that you asked for is actually produced correctly. So when, when you as a designer send your design file with your color specifications to the printer, the first thing they're going to do is actually use software from X-Rite to help formulate the ink that they're trying to mix. It gives them the right uh, formulations of color that they need to produce the inks. 
And then when they when they do the actual print runs, they will take a measurement of that 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 color on you know whatever paper you've given them with a spectrophotometer, and they measure that final print run against the the Pantone spectral data that they use in their software to determine really how close or how far off they are from the color that you asked for. And so that's, you know, when we go back to thinking about the, the workflow, now we're, we're talking about like the right-hand side of this workflow where um, essentially the Pantone language is now a data point that somebody using a spectrophotometer is measuring against to, to see if they've hit their target. And it, it's, it, it all works hand in hand to, to get you really that accurate final color at the end of the day. So am I understanding this right? Um, so the Pantone books, they come in either uh, coated or uncoated. And say you provide the print company the color code. Say if you're getting it printed on a different material that absorbs the ink in a different way, are the print company using the um, spectrophotometer um, to measure the color on that particular paper stock and creating a different ink so that it looks the same on that particular paper? Hopefully my it, question it, makes sense. It, it's a, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, a, uh, it's one of the most challenging um, problems in, in going from design to print. And, and so to your point, I mean, if you if you took a you know a Pantone ink that was mixed, and you let's say you apply it to the same paper that the Pantone books are are applied on, you're going to get the same color as that Pantone book. Um, you know, assuming that you know, assuming you've actually controlled you know how you formulated the color through the process. If if you took that ink and you know let's say let's say instead of printing it on that same white paper, it, it was printed on recyclable material that's maybe you know the backing is brown and maybe you know depending on the print process or the type of ink maybe you know even the inks are different um, that's really like a it's a different condition and it's a different dependent condition and the pantone color that you mixed will not come out and look the same as what you you specified when you picked it during design and so it's a it's a big challenge, and, and what happens a lot of times to compensate for this, uh, printers, they'll either you know they'll they'll apply much more ink to try to hit the color that you asked for. Um, they may also put down um, you know in in the in the instance where let's say they are printing on like a, a brown recyclable material, they'll actually put down white underneath it first and then over it in order to get that color. And all of that works, and it, it's it's just very expensive, and it can lead to a very costly print job. And if it still doesn't quite get you the color you want, um, you're going to spend a lot of money going and doing it again, and it's just it, it's not worth it for a lot of people. So what we've actually done is um, all of so every single Pantone color is, is measured with a spectrophotometer, and those measurements live in the cloud. And and what happens is we make that data available to printers to use in the software that they use for printing um, as, as these targets and as these formulation targets. And um, what we've also done is, is we've, we've gone ahead for packaging in particular, and we've applied Pantone inks as, as they normally would be um, mixed to 36 different packaging substrates 
anything from different types of wrappers or labels to recyclable materials. Um, you know, brown craft board is a, is a good example because it's just so hard to hit the color on. Um, even to things like aluminum cans. And we've taken the measurements of each of these colors really as sort of like, like derivatives of the Pantone system, which we call them dependent conditions or dependent standards. And so we actually have software for designers where, you know, let's, let's say you're designing, um, you know, some logo that's going to go on a, on a brown cardboard box. We can actually, in your design file, help you simulate how that color will print when printed to really like a, an achievable standard um, of that what that Pantone color is on a brown court cardboard box. So we can simulate how your color will change. And using that same simulation data, those simulations become targets that your printers can try to aim towards rather than going towards that original color um, that was you know, specified on a, on a white paper. And so what happens is instead of your printer spending lots and lots of money and doing many, many reruns, trying to hit a color that they really can't hit, we're giving them a target that's achievable and, and really predictable and saying, if you, can, if you can hit this target, which may not look exactly the way um, it looks in the Pantone book, but you know, it, it's close to it. If you can hit this target, you're doing good and you should stop. Like this is, this is a reasonable color for you to get. So you're really setting expectations from the designer's point of view of how good the color can be on the different materials to the printer with how good they can get when they're actually printing it. Um, this is, it's called Pantone Live. Um, there's, there's different iterations of it for printing and for design, um, but it's really a way of, of communicating color with this, this impact of substrate um, in a way that's, that's achievable for everybody and, and understood for everybody ahead of time saves a lot of time and a lot of money, especially for um, for designers who are working on like big packaging programs for CPG companies. This is, uh, this is a way for them to cut down on the money that they waste and the time they waste um, designing and, and, and printing with color. Hmm. Amazing. Because uh, I, I, I literally didn't know that software existed. So again, after this, I, I will check that out and I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes as well for uh, any listeners that might want to check it out as well. There was another uh, product on the on the website again that I not seen and um, I'm not sure how it's used, where it can actually simulate different light conditions, so spectralite, and that particular product uses seven different light sources. How is a product like that used in the the real world? Are, are there companies out there that are actually choosing a, a Pantone ink based on the light conditions and recreating it to see how it might look <laughs> yeah th this is um it like lighting is it when you're picking colors and when you're assessing color lighting is is i mean it, of many things it's one of the most important things to control um if you know if it, a lot of times design studios if, if you were to pick the ideal design studio you'd have skylights and a lot of natural light coming in and that's because, you know, with that lighting, you can, you know, assess your color under, under day or close to daylight um, and really get a good feel for how that color is supposed to appear. Um, the reality is a lot of people work in, in press rooms or in factories or in, in dark spaces and they don't get that lighting. And so these, these light booths become really a, a critical tool. And, and so what they do is 
they show you under you know a few different lighting scenarios really what your color looks like and, and so some of those scenarios uh, like d50 lighting is a it's like a simulation of warm daylight um, that's that's typically used in graphic arts as a way to assess color and that's that's like the underlying light condition in a lot of the data that we collect you can simulate that using one of these light booths so that you can look at you know how your color is supposed to appear when it's printed um, there's D65 lighting, which is typically used for more like product application. And it's, it's, it's a, instead of warm daylight, it's a bit of a, like a, like a cooler, but maybe a little bit brighter daylight as well. Um, and so these light boots can simulate that lighting condition as well. And then with the simple flip of a switch, you can also simulate incandescent lighting, which, you know, like you think about retail, that might be like accent lighting where, you might see a product up on the shelf with a spotlight on it that that could be incandescent. And then, you know, some other light conditions, uh, there's you know, cool white fo- uh, fluorescent lighting where, you know, you think about like large, large retail stores where they've just, they've got, um, <laughs> they've got like fluorescent lighting all over the place. You're basically simulating how your color is going to look under like essentially a store condition. So, all of these different lighting conditions, they, they what they'll show is, you know, what you thought might might have been a match to a sample that you received from a customer. Um, if you if you switch between the different lighting conditions, you'll find that colors that might have matched under one condition are completely different under another. And you know, depending on what you're designing for, that can be a, a make or break decision that you caught very early because you were looking at it under the right kind of lighting. So it's it's a way to control upfront whether or not you're you're picking a color that you want, and then you know let's say you you got you know some sort of um, lab dip or something you know if you're working in textile or um, you know in printing if you got like sort of like an early production run um, from a printer and you wanted to compare it to the color you asked for, you would stick it into this light booth and view it under you know whatever lighting conditions you wanted to see it under. And, you know, you can really assess whether or not it's the color you asked for that way. Um, there's a condition called metamerism, where, whereby essentially colors that appear the same under one condition are in fact different. And I mean, without getting into the color science of metamerism, because that is a topic in and of its own right, um, there is a, in, in every single Pantone formula guidebook, um, there's a lighting indicator where you can stick this lighting indicator, you know, under any light source, including the room you're in. And if, if the two colors that are printed on it appear different, it's basically telling you that you're not viewing that color under the ideal lighting conditions. Whereas if you were to step, like maybe you step outside with it, you'll notice that it doesn't appear as two, con- two colors anymore. It just appears as one. And then you'd, be, then you'd know that you were viewing color under the right lighting conditions. So it's a it's a handy little feature that comes in each Pantone guide that will you know really help you understand whether or not you can see color the right way or not. I had no idea it was that that way. Um, so basically, these color boosts they're very much for making sure that the color that you pick is completely accurate based on the the conditions that you're creating that thing for. So if it's going to be in 
if you know that it's going to be on the, the on the shelf in a shop you can actually just double check and make sure that you're picking the exact color based on the, the conditions sounds really useful <laughs> yeah and, and so there it comes in variations of uh three five and seven lighting conditions so i, I mean for the average graphic designer three lighting conditions is probably sufficient um and that's it's it's a there's a Pantone light booth, um, Pantone three light booth that you know will will simulate those for you. That's a pretty accessible product. But yeah, if you, I mean, if you really want to be looking at color the right way, these are a must have. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Now we have about I don't know just over five minutes left, and I've gone through most of the things I wanted to, but I'm aware that there's so much more to this topic. Is there any uh, products or any information that you feel uh, could be really beneficial for graphic designers? Yeah, I, I think um, you know there are there are all sorts of technologies out there that um, really assist your process, and I think just um, understanding really how you know you can work with uh, both digital and physical tools together. Um, to speed up your workflow, it's probably the most critical point. And I, th- I think it's probably come through a bit in some of the topics we've discussed. Um, you know, if you're if you're working solely with physical color, all the way through from you know when you're picking colors to when you're designing, you know, you may not be seeing color completely the right way, or you you know you may communicate one color, um, you know, and and your your printer if if they're working physically only physically, you know, they may not be able to actually reproduce the color you're asking for. Alternatively, if you are working only with digital tools, you may not really have an understanding of, you know, how that color is going to appear in the real world under different lighting conditions. And so, you know, working with a, a purely digital color workflow will lead to its own set of problems um, and, and sort of maybe false expectations. And so, you know, I think a, a key takeaway is um, really a, a combination of physical color references and digital color tools and standards and technology really will help you to get accurate color as early as possible and then flow it through your workflow in a controlled and consistent way and then communicate it to the people who need to produce your color. And so I think just understanding that it is this digital, digital physical process is, is absolutely critical. And a lot of, a lot of what Pantone, let's say what, what our team is working on right now is accelerating this digital to physical translation. So different ways to capture color that are low cost, but still accurate. Um, there's, a, there's a lot coming from Pantone and, and we're trying to facilitate it with a digital ecosystem that makes it really seamless to move that color through your workflow. Um, so, you know, lots to come very, very soon from Pantone in this regard. Um, but it, it, that's really, I think, the key for anybody trying to understand um, how to approach working with color. Mm. Well, Nick, this has been absolutely fascinating. And I hope for, um, you know, anyone that might not be familiar with like the the, the best uh, workflow for color accuracy, I can imagine they got a lot out of this. So, Thank you so much for making uh, time out of your busy schedule to come on. We've had this booked in, in in the calendar now for a few months, so it's been great to speak with you. So uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. Uh, thank you, Ian. It's been a, a pleasure to connect, and I hope uh, this was really a benefit to everybody listening. Thanks. 
Well, that was an absolutely fantastic episode. There were so many tools and resources that we did mention. So do make sure to check out the show notes for this week's episode, which you can find at logogeek.uk forward slash 88. Also, make sure to check out that training course that I mentioned from Saggy Habib. It's absolutely incredible. It is only $10. And if you do purchase it via the link that I'm just about to mention, you will be helping to support the ongoing production of the Logo Geek podcast. So that's logogeek.uk forward slash course. If you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this podcast with me and over nine thousand logo designers from around the world make sure that you're part of the logo geek community on facebook totally free to be part of and it's incredibly active so any question you have it will get answered so you can find out by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash community so that is it for this week but i shall see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the logo geek podcast <laughs>